0: The Gym Channel Podcast, bringing you the big picture on geoscientific information management
1: through interviews and discussions.
2: Welcome to the Gym Channel. Our podcast channel features guest speakers from the natural resources industries with an interest and focus on digital technologies and geoscientific information management. If you're enjoying our podcast series, please leave some feedback through your podcast player or on Apple Podcasts. We love to hear from our community.
3: Thank you everyone for coming and uh, joining the, uh, this year's panel discussion for the, uh, the Acquire booth. Uh, let me know at the back if you can't hear me okay. I'll try and speak a little louder. But uh, I'm Warren Carvey. I'm the operations manager here in North America for Acquire. Uh, if I haven't met any of you, feel free to come find me after and, and say hi. Uh, today's uh, panel topic, as you can see from the screen up there, is uh, smarter data for smarter decisions. And I'll just read a little summary question here paragraph here, and then I'll introduce the panelist and, and pose the first question. So um, the, the summary question goes like this, there's been an explosion of data being generated in mining as companies navigate deeper mines and are exploring increasingly complex ore bodies. Managing these larger volumes of data to access, analyze, and then confidently make smarter decisions from the data is becoming increasingly challenging. Our guest panelists are invited to discuss these challenges and and how technology plays a critical role in miners making smarter decisions with smarter data. So I guess first on the panel, I'll start at the far end. We've got uh, Chris Hunter. He's a senior resource geologist for Centera Gold. Uh, Chris is a uh, safety focused senior mine engineer and consultant for almost 30 years. Uh, he's worked in copper, gold, zinc, oil sands, frac sands, and in mining camps in the Porcupine, Red Lake, uh, Flin Flon, Snow Lake, McMurray, and Quesnel regions. Uh, he's utilized multiple mining softwares for block modeling, estimation, and database management. Next, we've got Jennifer McLaughlin from Cameco. She's the Exploration Information Management Manager. Uh, Jennifer has degrees in geological engineering and GIS and has been working in information management at Cameco for nearly 10 years. Uh, She oversees explorations data silos including drill data in Acquire's Jim Suite, uh, 2D and 3D spatial data, geophysical data, land data, images and documents. And then closest to me here we've got John McGahey, president at Mirror Geoscience. Uh, John is the, uh, holds a PhD in geophysics from Queen's University. His focus is on 3D and 4D data management, earth modeling, and interpretation for mineral exploration, mining, and geotechnical hazard assessment. Mira Geoscience is a software and services company with offices in Canada and Australia. So now you've met the panel, I will, uh, I'll pose the first question. Uh, maybe I'll start with Chris on the far end again. Lucky you. Uh, first question: More and more data is becoming available for miners to use. Are you seeing new sources of data adding to this, and if so, what are they? Uh, at
0: our at our mining operation, we're not seeing necessarily new data, but increased volumes of data, and that's a that's a, a very large concern for our operation is the the management and and being able to actually physically handle and have enough time to understand and in, interpret the data in your mind with with the large volumes. We're we're drilling you know upwards of a hundred holes a day, and we sample those holes. We get multi-element uh, analysis done on all those holes. So we have so much information to work from. It, it, it becomes time-consuming, and you know the reason we pushed to get Acquire for the uh, for the operation side was being able to handle all that data.
3: Jennifer, any comments?
4: Um, I think some of the new data that we're finding these days is more of the um, not as precise stuff, like trying to uh, get information from images, uh, drone footage, that sort of thing. So things that you might need um, uh, more help sort of interpreting, not just easy point data or numbers or things like that, but stuff that's a bit more hard to pin down.
3: Right. John, from your perspective at Mira, any comments?
4: Right, so we,
1: we do see different, uh, um, lots of different kinds of data through both exploration and, uh, and, and, and and the mine site itself. In terms of new data, yeah, there's always new stuff coming along. Exploration recently, I've seen you know passive seismic data or muon tomography or whatever. There's always new gizmos creating new data sets. Uh, that's true on the mine site as well. We're dealing with a lot of new kinds of ground deformation data, new kinds of sensors. Uh, But at the end of the day, uh, the real uh, issue is how do you get all that data into one place where you can do something with it, combine that data to get some value out of it. So the challenges that I see are not so much in new data types coming along. New data types are welcome. I think we can always handle them. It's not that hard to find structures to handle them. It's really how do you combine new data sets with existing data sets? And and that's really, you know, for us, is always the challenge.
3: Yeah, that actually leads me to my next question, which was, you know, what are the biggest uh, data management challenges you have <laughs> around these larger volumes of data? So... Go? Sure, and, and go ahead. Sure, Chris. <laughs> yeah, well,
0: it's it's interesting that, you know, as, as you want to increase your data set, you always have a... Uh, a senior leader that is saying, well, you know, is it worth the cost? You have to justify it. You just can't collect the data and and then not do something with it and show a value for it. You know, a, 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 an operating mine has strict budgets that we have to follow. And it's it's important that that you can s- distill the data quickly and and show the value that it's it's going to make an improvement somewhere that will you know lower cro- cost, increase productivity, increase safety you know, any of those those key benchmarks, the KPIs that the managers are, are really going to look for. Yeah,
1: yeah. On ter- in terms of data volume, data volume is a huge uh, issue. I wouldn't say in mining we have a real big data problem like you might in particle physics or something like that. But uh, we still have voluminous amounts of data and and there's a real data heterogeneity issue, and this gets back to the issue I mentioned earlier of of the the challenges of combining data. So on the exploration uh, side, you might combine a 3D seismic data cube, or INSAR data, or very densely spaced LIDAR data with drill hole data, and how do you get that data together, And, and how do you hold it in one place, in one data warehouse, so it can be brought together And the kind of uh, solutions that we found are are to make sure we're able to mix and match things like relational uh, data structures, proper SQL data tables for things like drill hole and geochem data with smart uh, file-based data with compression and proper tags and labeling for really large data sets like LiDAR or 3D seismic so you can still pull out the parts of the data you need. And can combine it with other data within the same system. And, and, and those are the kinds of challenges that we've been working on over the last few years. And, and you know, they just get uh, you know more challenging as more large data sets come in. So yeah, the the, the data volume uh, issue is an issue because you want to combine it with things like drill hole and sample data like you have in in, in Acquire and, and, and how how do you do that? That's that's the challenge. Right.
3: Jennifer, you've got diverse data background.
4: (laughs) Um, Yeah, I think uh, a lot of the problem, and I mean, I suppose it's even a problem with small amounts of data, but particularly with big amounts of data, you've got um, all the quality control involved. So um, is your data, I mean, odds are your data is not all in one place. So when you bring it together, is it corresponding to the rest of the data? Do you have some overlaps? Do you have things that are different in one place from the other? Um, and how do you deal with it? How do you keep up with that instead of having to go back and look at things from the past? I mean, that happens all with, with um, old data now because we've digitized it from who knows where. So we don't know if it's right or wrong or what it corresponds to. So I would say it's, I mean, with more volume, you've got more of that quality issue. And I think you have to spend more time working on that and making sure that the stuff that you're collecting is, is high quality data that you can rely on to make your decisions. Otherwise, it's not really useful
3: yeah quality data smarter data <laughs> smarter decisions
0: <laughs> and and accessibility is is key you know it's if you can't get to the data and use it and and have it have your understanding of the data you know across like for Centara Gold we we work you know across multiple countries we have mines and you know all all around the world and but we still Keep our processes the same between the minds so that if you know if we ended up sharing staff they would they would recognize the workflows throughout.
3: Good. Uh, Just circling back to the the main topic here, uh, next question maybe I'll pose it to you Jennifer. Um, When we talk about smarter data and making smarter decisions what does this mean to you and how does this look in your business?
4: Um, Smarter data I think probably starts with how we collect the data. So, is there a way we can have a more automated um, collection system uh not having people have to enter things um more than once or even enter them manually can we do we have sensors? Do we have ways that we can bring stuff right into the database without any human interactions so just taking out that possibility for error when you're capturing the data, I think is a big thing, and we're seeing more things like that, like more downhole um probes that can read different things and can actually you know take pictures of the of the, of the rock or of what's left when you take out the core. So I definitely think having that, um, having the more automated capture, I think is a is a big part of getting smarter data. And then making sure that you're capturing what you need to make those decisions. So not just grabbing everything you can, but making sure you really focus on what the important data is that you need to make your decisions.
3: Right, why, why you're grabbing that data. Yeah, why you're
4: it. grabbing it yeah. and what you're going to use it for. So yeah. we could get, you know, five thousand fields but where are we gonna use them all yeah are we just gonna waste time putting them in and trying to figure out what they are or are we just gonna get the two or three that we need and um, uh, that we need to make the decisions
3: Chris you're nodding your head down there yeah it's it's
0: it's interesting how how fast uh, bad data can 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 wreck a project can wreck your model it's you know what is that funny little piece of data sitting out there what does it mean but you know, if you have it managed at, at the front end, it, 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 it's so much better. It allows you to think, this could mean something, right? This this outlier. Mm-hmm.
4: As opposed to somebody typed an extra zero in or something. <laughs> yeah.
3: John, what are your thoughts on the smarter data, smarter decisions?
1: Well, in terms of smarter data, I mean, data's not smart. I mean, what what your ability to use data smartly... Um, you know depends on being able to access the data you want in a timely manner and have that data validated so you can trust it so i mean our approach is 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 to where we can get data that is you know properly qc'd and validated from systems like a wire system for drill holes and samples um, but to also make sure across the breadth of data types that data has has consistent metadata and tagging so that when you want to bring different types of data together in some kind of multidisciplinary integration, you're able to get that, the data, uh, the basic data sets, primary data sets together quickly, and, and you're able to access the right version of the data, and you're not you know, wasting 90% of your time, which you typically do in these projects, on just finding and fighting for the data that you want. So to me, smarter data means ways to access the data that you need for your project across all the disciplines quickly and be able to trust that data so you can trust your analysis going forward.
3: Right. Uh, and another question for you. Uh, I'll start with John on this one. Uh, what is the current industry trend towards technologies like AI, machine learning, and, and what are your thoughts there?
1: Sure. So we, we at Mira Geoscience, we do a lot of work in AI and machine learning. And I, I, I suppose we're part of that trend, which is, uh, you know, it's 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 in, in part uh, a buzzword. You know, it, uh, people are wondering what they can do with AI and everyone wants to know if machine learning can be applied to their problem. Um, the trends that we're seeing is that a lot of that initial part of the hype cycle is now um getting resolved down to some useful tools. And uh, those useful tools are are across a a wide range of of issues in exploration and mining, whether it's preventive maintenance at the mine site, or whether it's, you know, looking at hyperspectral data uh, in in exploration or looking at drill hole data. Uh, But the one thing that hasn't really changed, and I'll get back to this again, because it's what we specialize in at mirror Geoscience, is the data integration part of it. So machine learning is getting pretty good at doing smart things with grids in exploration, with block models, maybe for metallurgy, with drill holes. On the mining side, it could be, I mentioned, preventive maintenance. So, you know, the engine on the scoop tram, looking at that, or the tires. The thing that all of those things I mentioned and many more that I didn't mention have in common is they all have a single support. So you're working with multiple properties, say in the grid cells of a 2D grid or or the blocks of a block model or multiple properties on on different engines you're looking at on on a scoop tram or something like that. So those are are better controlled problems because you're looking at, again, multiple properties on a common support The harder problem, and it's the one that we've really tried to devote ourselves to, which I don't think has seen a lot of general progress in the industry, although I think we're making some headway, is how do you combine these different things? How do you take an airborne gravity survey and combine it with drill hole data or soil geochemistry data, when those are on really fundamentally different supports, even though it's the same project area and you want to use those different data sets for your exploration targeting. How do you get those different data sets together using some of these tools like machine learning or AI to do something smart that will lead to better drill hole targets? So I haven't seen a heck of a lot of progress in that (laughs) other than what we've been doing within our company. And we've made some, I think, really good strides, but generally across the industry, what I've seen is, is a lot of progress on single problems with single supports.
3: So the, it's changed. I mean, the follow up question was what, how has it changed in the last five years? So I think you're doing it's changing, but maybe slowly or gradually. Well, I think it's changing <laughs> in
1: that there were some really good tools that you see, really yeah. good examples. There's always papers published at conferences like these of, you know, cool things people are doing with machine learning to, you know, better uh, say normalize pathologies in, in hundreds or thousands of drill holes using comment fields or whatever. We, we do that kind of work as well. Or, or combining multiple uh, geophysical inversions on, on the same support or multiple uh, uh, different properties on, on 2D maps or 2D grids for, for targeting. You see a lot more of that. Um, so that, that's the trend, those tools are getting better and, and we're really seeing a lot of good examples and good papers published and good case studies I'll just get back to the harder problem—the one that, that that we've really focused on. I think made some good headway. Is how do you com- how do you combine, you know, sparse drill hole data with you know an airborne geophysical coverage, which is you know the, so the data in exploration and mining very heterogeneous, sparse data. It's not regularly sampled. How do you deal with those problems? Those are the problems that are are, are really still for the the future in large part we're making headway on those but you don't see a lot published on that kind of stuff right
3: uh jennifer thoughts on machine learning ai
4: um it's definitely definitely coming up in the world um i guess i'd say maybe in the last probably almost five years maybe three or four years it's sort of come to my attention a bit more um I think, uh, like John said, it's it's a matter of combining it with your other data. So you may be um, learning about something, analyzing something with machine learning or with an AI, and then how do you take that information, how do you make sure you get that information out in a way that you can use and combine with your other information? So, uh, for instance, things like um, getting information from an uh, image of core. So they might be able to detect certain things, but then how do you, Put, how do we say how it detected that? Like, wh- how do we set, put that data out so that we combine it with other downhole data? When it's just, I don't know, maybe a coordinate and a data point from from the program. So, getting that information, I would say, getting the information, the tool is definitely useful, but then getting that information out and combining it with the other information is probably the bigger issue, I would think.
3: Yeah. Chris, thoughts? Other trends as well? Machine learning, AI?
0: Uh Truthfully, in the minds, I haven't seen that yet. You know, we, we deal in breaking rock, which is, you know, rather clunky. But, <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm all for it. I'm, I, I'm admittedly a little worried my job's going to be taken by Skynet.
3: But, <laughs> you know, I'm all for it, though. <laughs> I want to retire someday. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Fair enough. Um, uh, maybe I'll go Jennifer here. <clears throat> what role is technology playing in one of the biggest topics right now, ESG?
4: Um, I would say that it is making it easier to, um, I guess, respond to those issues that come up uh, from that sort of thing, making sure that you have the data to show that you are, if it's something like environmental, that you're following regulations, um, that you're um, focused on that as you're collecting the data and that you're collecting data related to that. Um, and just that you can have the data that you need to uh, make the decisions that you need to make on those topics, basically, and make them in a, a smart way with data that you know is reliable.
3: Chris, thoughts?
0: Yeah, for sure. Uh, the mines, you know, we, we are under a very very stringent regulatory framework and collecting the data and, and presenting it how the regulators want to see it. Right? They they usually have a very specific formatted uh Way they want to, to get the data, the way it, way it interprets. So it's it's not just what we can do; it's what what the customer, the, the you know the government agency wants. You know, especially when it comes to environmental considerations. You know, it's it's very important to give them what they want to essentially to keep them happy, so they can understand what you've given them right away.
3: Yeah, uh, John, anything to add there? I want to jump on to the next question.
1: Well, look, I think. Um, uh, Some of those things, particularly safety and environmental, Mm -hmm. um, uh, the the objectives we have can be better reached by proper quantitative data integration across the disciplines. We've seen that. We do a lot of work on geotechnical uh, safety. Um, So we've got our our data integration platform, Geoscience Integrator, in, in mine sites where it's bringing data in directly from micro seismic systems and ground deformation systems combining it with geology and other production data, blasting data, and it's only when you get all of those data types together in the same place at the same time can you do really smart things with it in terms of of safety. So everyone's known for years that all of those different kinds of data that I mentioned and more uh, have some impact on on mine safety, whether it's roof fall or rock burst or whatever the safety issue is. but how do you actually pull those together quantitatively? It's one thing to to know it qualitatively and to make reasoned sort of expert judge judgments. That certainly has its place. That's the way it's always been done. But we've actually demonstrated in many occasions that you can take those data sets together quantitatively, apply things like machine learning and come up with better uh, assessments of hazard, probabilistic assessments show that they're they're quantitatively have have value we've seen their predictive capacity and operating mine sites the same thing will apply to tailings right when you have tailings uh, failures there's multiple kinds of data that go into that right and and it's by combining all of those data sets into some kind of probabilistic framework that you can actually do something smarter with the data to get back to your original decision so it's it's a tough problem. How do you take data again that's sparse, heterogeneous, um, and you know, validation issues? A lot of it still is is not even digitized in, in mine sites. It's hard to believe, hmm. maybe, but we do work where we need to ask people to get blasting data, blasting records out of filing cabinets, that kind of thing, <laughs> still happens all the time. Um, but once you have the capability of pulling that, those kinds of data sets together, you can actually do something much smarter with it, and that is right from production to these sort of ESG issues.
3: Yeah, I saw a lot of head shake when you said uh, paper copies of, of data there, and yeah. a few nods in the audience.
1: <laughs> yeah, Oh yeah. We, well, in exploration, we still, I mean, most people obviously are on GIS systems or whatever, but we see, we see paper maps all the time, pencil crayon. I mean, it's- Also it's, things
4: it's, like mine grids and mine, weird random uh, things like that. Mine, yeah, absolutely, <laughs> yeah,
1: absolutely. If you want to understand the history of ground support at a mine, which we often needed to do in our work it is very difficult you're looking at a project perhaps of months while people go back through records back through old autocad drawings to try and figure out what the ground support they had installed in place over over time was and if you want to do smart things with data you need to understand what you know what the evolution of the ground support was and if it's that tough to find it is just that much tougher to apply these smarter analytical uh, methods. Right. Yeah. It,
0: it's, it is interesting. Like one of the mines I worked at earlier in my career in, in Timmins, Ontario was, you know, it was started in the twenties and, sure. and there was, there was, everything was stored in a vault written on mylar and paper. And, you know, just over the generations, they had to, you know, keep increasing the technology in order to keep up with the with the mining and the and where they wanted to go. But that's that is our industry. A okay. lot of the a lot of the places we work, they're there for decades and decades. So yet you, you have to be able to grow and scale scale up accordingly.
1: And the reality is today, whether it's a mine site, a mine office or an exploration office, across the industry, the the most common thing that that we see in terms of, of data is a few isolated databases like Acquire or some other specific databases, but it's usually, everyone's got a drill hole database, it seems, and there are a few other kinds of databases around for different kinds of data, but most data today is not you know, on paper or Mylar, but it's on a network file system buried in nested subfolders, and it is very, very difficult to get value out of that data unless you pull it out of there, and put it into, into a data warehouse where you've got common tags and metadata and you know an ability to get things on a common coordinate system. And it's only then that you can do these sort of data fusion operations that actually pull those different kinds of data together onto a common support. If you wanna do any kind of machine learning or AI, you, you need that. And it's, just, it's actually a pretty sorry state in, in the mining industry across the board. A network file system for managing data, That that that's not smart. Okay, That's not what I call smart data. That's data. It's not smart data.
3: Amen. <laughs> Preaching the <board>. yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I think at this point, we'll probably just open it up to the, that was great, by the way. Um, we'll open this up to questions from the audience. If somebody has a question, put your hand up. Just wait. I can bring the mic to you, and you can ask the, the panelists. So hand up, anyone? Who's gonna be brave and go first? Paul, Paul, you're twitching your fingers over there. Anyone? No. No SharePoint. Share no SharePoint.
1: No. No SharePoint. Yeah. <laughs> agreed.
3: Yeah. Um, I guess I have a question that I wrote earlier for myself, all by myself. Um, <laughs> Do you think the industry's attitude towards data management in general and its value has changed in recent years?
2: Uh,
3: let's go, with Jennifer. Slowly,
4: <laughs> I would say. Slowly, slowly, but yes. It's improving. Yeah. Improving, it's definitely. Well? Um, you got to drag the old school people along with you and and convince them and show them that, you know, they can get everything they want out of a dashboard or something as long as you have the data in there and digitized and managed properly.
0: Yeah, sometimes it's a it's a slow uptake. Because you know, when you know, somebody builds a an Excel database, if you want to call it that, or (laughs) or a Windows file system database, you know, people get comfortable with it. And then you have to justify Right? Why? Why do we need to to spend money to to, to buy and acquire a system? Right? It it's working the way it is, but you get to a point where you get so much data, and you know, you know in Excel, you reach the two gig limit, and, and then your data falls apart. What do you do? Yeah. It's it's only when the, the the oh my gods happen, right? <laughs> that that change really takes place.
3: Yeah.
1: X as they say, Excel is where data goes to die. <laughs> <laughs> Good, good point. Uh, Any other questions at all? Anyone?
2: Go ahead. Um, Going back on what you were saying about data and um, organization structure and whatnot, my understanding is that geologists and engineers and whatnot, we know how to use the data, but we don't know how to organize it. It's been kind of proven with all of these minds and whatnot universities lately have been rebranding and reorganizing their librarian degrees to be metadata specialists or knowledge managers and whatnot. And are we seeing departments hire librarians instead of geologists and engineers to really work on reorganizing the metadata and preparing it so that the language across the board is the same, so that everybody knows how to use it properly? Is that something that we're starting to see or, or not?
0: I haven't seen it yet, but that has been my first and ongoing request for new staff at the mine would be somebody that the managed the different data systems and the, the data within them.
4: Very valuable. Sounds like a good idea. <laughs> I think um, I think there's still that um, belief, rather proper or improper, that it helps to have the knowledge of of what the data is that you're working for, so to have a bit of that geological knowledge if you're dealing with geology data, but I definitely think there could be more of a focus on the data management and knowing the best practices and how to do that properly. So, you know, either getting a geologist and teaching, or getting a librarian and teaching them a little geology, or teaching a lot more data management to geologists, I guess. So.
1: In. In in uh, I would say in every case where our geoscience integrator data warehouse system is being deployed, um, ultimately someone has been put in charge of that. And that is either um, outsourced back to us if the customer doesn't want to do it themselves, or it's done um, by somebody. Somebody gets appointed to that role and it's usually a geologist or geophysicist. And I do think, uh, you you need the domain knowledge to, to do that. So I think I would be uh, ha- more likely to train a, a, a geologist or geophysicist if you could con- convince one to want to do this um, to take on that take on that role than to try to teach a librarian ge- or you know geoscience or mining. Yeah. But the role is required, absolutely. Yeah. Good. Well, thanks for the question and.
3: Thanks very much to the, the three panellists. If you want to give them a round of applause. Thank Chris, Jennifer, John.
0: Thanks for listening to Acquire's podcast, The Gym Channel. Find us at acquire.com.au.